Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, uh, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And our guest this week is DJ Freemeyer. Uh, DJ is no stranger to the show. He's uh, djbiblecoaching.com is where you can go to find out more about what he does. He coaches pastors all over uh, the country, um, guiding and helping them in their teaching and preaching lives. And so his personal mission is, syncs up very well with this uh, show. So I love to have him on and he's just like a genius and always has great stuff to say. So uh, this week we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Matthew 5, 21 through 37. You have to forgive me. My voice is, doesn't sound, I mean, maybe it never sounds great, but it doesn't sound as good as it usually does because I'm uh, getting over uh, a cold, a COVID cold, in fact. So yeah, so I appreciate your uh, patience and indulgence with my uh, voice being a little scratchy. Hopefully it's not too distracting. And uh, maybe you are suffering yourself this winter with uh, with the cold and maybe even COVID. And so you get it and understand. So misery loves company. So hopefully it won't be too distracting and maybe even a little uh, solidarity with <laughs> some listeners out there. So uh, if you're enjoying the show today, just hit the share button on your podcast player app and you can pass it along to others so they can hear about the show. The best way to get the word out about the show is through word of mouth that way. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text to find ways you can become a patron saint of the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with DJ. Cool. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Nice big chunk of text. If you're willing to read that for us, that'd be great. Sure. All right. Matthew uh, 5, 21 through 37. You have heard it spoken to prominent ones. Do not commit murder. And whoever might commit murder will be bound to judgment. But I myself say to you, anyone who is enraged towards one sibling baselessly will be bound to judgment. And whoever says to one sibling worthless will be bound to the council. And whoever says moron will be bound into the sorrow valley of fire. If then you bring your offering to the altar, and there you are reminded that your sibling has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and descend. First, be reconciled to your sibling. Then come bring your offering. You will be thinking good towards your opponent quickly until... When you are in the trail with that person, you should be thinking good (laughs) towards your opponent quickly until you find yourself in the trail with the person, lest the opponent might hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you are cast into prison. Amen. Truly, I say to you, 
you will certainly not leave there until you have repaid it to the quarter penny. You have heard it spoken, do not commit adultery. But I myself say to you, anyone who is watching a wife to covet her has already committed adultery in the person's heart. But if your right eye infects you, deliver it and cast it away from you. For it will support you because you yourself might perish in body parts and your whole body not be cast into a sorrow valley. And if your right hand infects you, amputate it and cast it away from you. Or it will support you because you yourself might perish in body parts and your whole body not be cast into a sorrow valley. But it has been spoken. Whoever might dismiss a person's wife, have that one give her an annulment. But I say to you, anyone who dismisses the person's wife, besides a report or word of sexual relations, makes her commit adultery. And whoever might marry the dismissed commits adultery. Again, you have heard it spoken to the prominent ones. Do not commit perjury, but repay the Lord your oath. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either in the heaven, which is a throne of God, or in the earth, which is God's stepstool, or in Jerusalem, which is the city of the great king, or in your head. You might take an oath, which is not able to make a single hair white or black, light or dark. But let your word be yes for yes and no for no. But the addition of these is out of evil or harm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much for that reading and your fresh translation of it. Let's say a word of prayer for our discussion today. Father, we ask that the word which was came of old and came afresh on the lips and in the flesh of your son, Jesus, as he taught his disciples and the crowds gathered on the mount, that we in our time may hear these words, understanding them by spirit and study, understanding them as they would have been understood then, and then also by that same spirit being made alive to what this word has for us today, as we believe surely it does. So Father, give us uh, the strength and your spirit as we converse today. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you'll have to forgive the, the frog in my throat as I speak. It's still loosening up, but <clears throat> COVID's nasty, so I'm glad we're doing this remotely. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't always give that away. You know, sometimes we don't highlight whether someone's in the room or not, but today we're doing it remotely to uh, protect Dan from me. But, uh, <laughs> and me from you. From infection, I'll start right there. Actually, I noticed that you translated scandalon uh, or scandalizo, uh, which is often translated to cause to offend, um, which can sound really subjective, actually, and not is always that's not a very helpful translation. You can kind of leave it un, untranslated, scandalize, which doesn't yeah. really illuminate anything, although it's kind of fun. 
cause to stumble is another one, although that has its own individualistic tendencies. I noticed you chose infects. Infect. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. that that's that's actually that seems like that's really illuminating and helpful. So draw us into the context a little with that word choice. Well, yeah, it can be uh, difficult to to find a word that connects with the context of what's being discussed. And here, in terms of body parts, your eye doesn't really cause you to stumble <laughs> unless there's something wrong with it. So there's the sense in which this body part is causing harm, not good. And typically that's what happens when there's some sort of infection, something's wrong with it. It's not functioning properly. Then it makes sense to talk about removing it because it's only going to spread harm, not alleviate the harm. Yeah. So it sounds like just reflecting on the metaphor and kind of running with it. Maybe it isn't a metaphor, but just reflecting on the language, the imagery, how's that? The imagery of yeah. an eye and the logic of poking it out, which seems if it's just offending you, right? It's kind of like, what? <laughs> seems like, like an overkill, you know? Eye and you won't right. be offended anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the notion of an infection that needs to be rooted out, actually is really helpful. And if you think of the English word scandal, that is what a scandal does, is it infects the relationships that people have with one another. When there's a political scandal or a family scandal, it, it infects every part of the conversation, every type of relationship, how to move forward in the future. So even that word connects with can infection can be a part of it. Like our, our family, our community is infected by this. And that, that is, I mean, I know you've had to face this and I have too, when something's happening, like even in your family, something you're not a part of and it becomes public and there's some shame and there's a scandal, that word can appear. And you notice people back away, just like they back away from you when you have a cough and they think, oh boy, right? That person's going to infect me. So yeah. I step away because I don't want the harm to spread. Yep. Yep. I don't want to be seen associated with the scandal. Okay. Yeah. That's very illuminating for even the English word scandal. Yeah. Because the context here is the harm is going to spread. You're spreading harm by doing this. Not just to yourself, but to others as well. Right. Right. Is, is there some, uh, since we started there, uh, it was just fitting. <laughs> I know that when this language, it appears again, this kind of plucking out language in Matthew 18 in a kind of very communal context where the language of the body seems to be less about an individual and more the community. And you wouldn't want, you know, if one person is putting their own agendas ahead of the least of these, you know, it's better to lose that, you know, that body part. Right. Right. Whereas here though, I, I'm trying to hear, is it the same kind of communal infection thinking? Is that at work here? So in that instance, the context is uh, in regards to a millstone that you would tie something that is infectious but cannot be purged in a Gehenna, in a Sorrow Valley, by fire. So you drown it. You put it in the water where the toxicity can no longer spread. Containment. It's contained in the water, whereas a Gehenna is burning up 
the infection is burning up whatever part might spread the disease. So there's consumption of it rather than just a containment of it. So is the thrust of this particular, I mean, we're just zooming in on one, but that's okay because there's some parallelism. So getting our head around one is an okay way to start. Is the idea here, you as an individual, if you have this kind of one particular, you know, it's like your eyes are the problem, you pluck them out, like how literal to take this? Or is it thinking of it more as this is going to spread? I mean, you can see it in some of the other, the, the first section, there's clearly a much more communal aspect, right? But is it this idea that you're going to throw us all off if you keep going down that route, is this about a, a community discipline the way it is in Matthew 18, or is it a little bit a little bit more individual? Is this about me and my eyes or my foot or my right hand? I don't know. Does this make sense what I'm asking? How do you tend to interpret this kind of instruction? So this is to, I think, framing it within the larger uh, aim of this section is to cut Perfect. off. Yeah. <laughs> cut off the um, rooting it within an individual so that you don't get to the point of a Matthew 18 where you have to remove the individual completely. So this is rooting it out within the individual before that happens. So it's anticipating that community element, which actually comes out a lot more clearer in the anger and divorce or dismissal great translation sections, because those really speak to how this spirals out of control, right? There's that part towards the end of the very first section there where it's like, Hey, make peace on your way. Right. You know, cause it's just going to, it's just going to spiral out of control. Am I, am I interpreting that right as kind of a, it's not just like, it's not as a threat as much as a, just a warning about this is the way it's going to play out. You know, right. it's not spiritualized. He's not saying, Oh, in the, in the last judgment, you'll be in all this trouble. It's like, no, sort it out, dude. Like, because this is going to, this is going to spiral out of control. This will lead to natural consequences if you don't let it go unchecked. So if you check it now, the moment that it's appearing, you won't get to the point where much more drastic measures have to be taken. And I think that's where the misinterpretation of it gets to if someone takes it very literally and starts dismembering parts of your own body, it's missing the point of or thinking a word is the same as an act of violence because it's not but but it's where it starts right? right starts with that that word or that motivation that takes root within your heart within your mind you let that grow then it leads to some of the things that are going to have drastic consequences for you and the community i see so it's about that hence the language back to go full circle, the language of infection, right? Catch it early. Stop waiting until it manifests and you've broken the obvious explicit law. At that point, it's almost too late, right? And that's kind of the purpose of the statements by Jesus. You've heard it said, as long as you don't break this law, you're fine. But Jesus is moving it the opposite direction to say, it's not just about breaking the law. It's about stopping it early. So that you never even get to the point where you're close to the line to break it. It's not about not crossing the line. It's about never getting close. Well, that's great. Well, referencing that structure, you've heard it said, let's take a quick break and then come back and zoom in on, on that a little bit more.
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, DJ Freemeyer, and we are looking at Matthew 5, verses 21 through 37. So let me read, uh, let me just read a couple, just the opening lines to each of these sections. There, we have four, and then there's two more, uh, 38 uh, and through 48, that would be reserved for next week. But the way that the uh, Lent is coming early enough that those will get cut off, to use that language again. Uh, so we'll be going straight to uh, Transfiguration next week, I believe. Um, so I'll actually read the opening lines on those as well. So we'll get what these are historically sometimes referred to as the the sixth antitheses, right? That you have heard it said. Whether that's the best terminology is another matter. But so just to get them fresh in our ears. So uh, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry or gets enraged, I think was the word used, with their sibling will be liable to judgment. It goes on from there. The next one, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who is watching a wife has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then 31, it was also said, whoever divorces or dismisses his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who dismisses his wife, except on the ground of Pornea, uh, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries um, a dismissed wife commits adultery. Then 433, again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit perjury, but shall do perform whatever you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. And then lists a bunch of oaths. And then two more, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not even resist the one who is evil. Turn the other cheek, etc. And then lastly, you've heard it's, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So yeah, you have heard it said, the longest version we get is at the top, right? You have heard it was said to those, you said prominent ones. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you're thinking there. As short as we get, we get maybe uh, the third one is, it was also said, right? So you get longer and shorter versions. But then each time there's that, but I myself say to you. So walk us through a little, especially starting with your, who are those of old as it's often translated or the prominent ones? It's this word could go either way, right? Our, our chaos, but what you're thinking there and, and who, who is the audience he's thinking of as the, is he speaking of the Exodus generation? Is he thinking of traditions that come later? Is he thinking of characters in, in their own time? Like, well, who's his kind of interlocutor here? Obviously, he's engaging with scripture, but there's more than just that going on. There's also other interpretations and traditions, and not all these are direct quotes from the Torah. Some are, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's Jesus getting at there with that language. Yeah, I think the archaos is is a beautiful word that opens up possibilities because it refers to like the top or the head, the beginning, the first. So it could be the first in connection to time. Thus, you heard it said to the people at Mount, on Mount Sinai, right? To Moses and the, the community as God speaks. From the beginning. You know. From the beginning. Yeah. Also, that phrase that appears, you know, from the beginning or in the beginning also is using RK. 
Yeah, Jesus will frequently say the point to start is at the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the the very first part of the communication. So it could be time-wise, but then it could also be the first ones who in each generation hear it. So the ones that are when the nation is first founded and or when the nation gains independence or develops its ruling system, these will be declared. And so it could be the initial covenant that is established within the year as these at Shavuot or Pentecost would be spoken to groups of people and those that are gathering to worship. So it could be there within the year, but it could also be in terms of the leaders because each of the leaders would hear these communicated by the scribes or by the rabbis. So like the disciples of them or those that are prominent position would hear these and then they would pass on the rulings that adhere to them and people would get a trickle down from the leaders. It could be any of those connotations or all of them at the same time. Yeah, that's great. What do you think is in terms of the specifics of these contrast, what what do you sense is on Jesus' primary radar as this is collected by Matthew in terms of, I mean, like you said, it could mean any of those or all of those at once, but, and I, I know you don't have to lock in forever for, yeah. for all time, but wh- which way do you tend to tend to take that phrase? I think prominent one's a nice way to kind of leave it open. I like leaving it open as it's left open, and then it can be applied to each person's context. So who are the prominent ones for that person's context or who are the ones who received it first within your context? And you can overhear the communication to them and then catch kind of the contrasting emphasis, which is the antithesis, if you will. So Jesus in Matthew 5 is going to say, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to establish it, fulfill it, and help you to fulfill it. And so to help fulfill these laws, you need to go past, as I said earlier, past the line that you don't cross to what would lead you to cross that line eventually. And I think that's the emphasis here. So in some ways, I mean, sometimes I've heard it, you have heard it said that that like Jesus is here kind of pushing back or critiquing the traditions of the elders, the Pharisees, and the extra layers that they put on. But I see a lot of continuity here with the Pharisee tradition because isn't there a notion of like a fence around the Torah, right? So this is what would break the law. So let's put a little fence a little further out from that to beware. Now, there will be places where Jesus is going to critique the the oppressive function of some of those moves, but the actual notion of a fence around the Torah, it seems like Jesus is doing exactly that here. Let's but maybe not, maybe less of an exterior, I don't know if this is helpful, but less of a sort of exterior fence, but maybe perhaps a more one oriented towards maybe a wisdom fence, a fence that says, what's the underlying, what are the motivations and patterns of behavior that that spiral out of control to the breaking of the law? So maybe it's a different kind of fence, but it's still a fence. It's saying, don't just avoid breaking the law. Let's think more holistic. Is there some continuity there with his with the rabbis of his time? I think Jesus is wanting to help the people not to break the laws as the rabbis are doing. 
the help that Jesus offers is so much better than what the rabbis had given in terms of the rabbis or the Pharisees trying to control how people behaved in order to keep them from breaking it. And here Jesus is kind of tailoring the comments to, as you mentioned, the wisdom or the holistic thinking of the person to lead them to consider how exactly am I getting to this point and what actions could I take that would keep me from getting to that point and the consequences that result. So this goes right to the heart of the matter, not just maybe the behavior of the matter. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe even the language of offense ends up, though there's some continuity there, the imagery is less about additional boundaries on the outside of the law and more about the heart, like you say, the heart of the matter, what's at the heart of the law, what's the center of the law. What's the spirit behind the law? And how do I make sure that my whole being is within that spirit so that I can fulfill the law and do it well? Does Jesus ever use that? I'm trying to remember that. Why is this not clear for me? Does Jesus ever explicitly do the kind of spirit letter, that phrasing? And I know that appears in Paul and it's common in the biblical tradition. I don't want to bring John into it. Yeah. But even within Matthew, there is this sense of bringing in the the spirit into the rules and having a, not an unclean spirit, but but a holy spirit that can kind of cut things off and convict at the very onset. There are many examples of this, but I think Jesus talking with saying, come to me multiple times um, so that your spirit might have rest. Those types of language are more in line with Matthew, where the principles yeah. and the and the communication and the and the healings are, okay, now this is at the very beginning. This is the mustard seed that you want to make sure is planted. This is the seed you want to have growing, that type of language. I love you mentioned the mustard seed because that's a kind of positive parallel to the instruction here, right? That it starts small, right? So just as law-breaking and violence and infection and all that, it all starts with a small thing and then grows out. In the same way, faith starts small and grows out from there. So kind of attending to that little thing, the least of these. Yes, attend to the least, the smallest parts, and then it will have ramifications, positive ones or negative ones, depending on how you attend to them. That's so illuminating. Well, I had another question, but I, if I, if you wanted to go another direction, I don't oh, want to ahead. cut you off. If you're getting ready, you're like, oh, I want to say this, I want to say that. I, I, I love, by the way to not call them antitheses, but contrasting emphasis. Because there is some contrast here, and some of these are straight-up quotations from the Torah, so you can't deny contrast, but the emphasis is driving in another direction. That's a great phrase. I liked that. Contrasting emphasis. And I think you've captured that well. On just a, a matter of some small details, just using your, your translation choices as a jumping-off point, I noticed you went with dismissed instead of divorce. What was your logic behind that choice? I, it rang immediately true in my ear when you said it, but what, what was your thinking there? Yeah. So in many contexts, you can 
um, dismiss someone or separate and still not have that legal divorce. And that's the context here. It's not divorcing legally and then giving a certificate of divorce. <laughs> like the certificate is the legal divorce, but there can be action before the enactment of it, legal enactment. So to use divorce and then certificate divorce kind of sounds like, okay, you've taken the legal action already. But in this context, you haven't taken the legal action yet. Okay, that's very helpful. And it seems to highlight the patriarchal context of a kind of a husband making this call independently and the the oppression implicit in this, the dismissing. At least that's what I heard a little, you know, this is not – it's not two equals in a in a legal contract the way that divorce law mo- operates in a lot of modern societies. Not to dismiss that that's not an, I mean we need to talk go there, but I'm just saying like at least initially understanding the slightly different setting in which dismissal and divorce operated then. Yeah, and to put it in context, like both men and women could divorce. A husband and a wife can both have legal rights for divorcing at this time uh, within this this community, but it's targeting something that's more common, which is that a husband is displeased, is frustrated with the marriage and dismisses. Then the divorce comes later after the dismissal and the frustration has built up. So that's common in this for a man to do towards a wife, a husband to do towards a wife. It's more common. So I think that's why it's addressed here. Yeah, and so then the exception clause would be related to this kind of dismissal logic because if if there was some kind of sexual immorality that was go it may ahead. Not be an exception clause. Okay, walk me through that. There is uh, a way to view this particular part where if you dismiss if sorry if a husband dismisses the wife, right, uh, for whatever reason. That husband makes the wife an adulteress because other partners may join to the wife. And so there's adultery right there. So the husband is making the person, the woman, into an adulteress. However, if the woman has already committed a sexual relation, then the woman has made herself and the husband isn't making her. Regardless, adultery is the the result. Gotcha. Adultery happens whether she brought it on herself or whether the husband brings it upon her. And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. So Jesus is trying to move back from that to say, what would cause adultery to happen? Well, dismissal would be a cause or sexual relation before the dismissal might be a cause. So it's highlighting root causes and rooting those out. So that same pattern is what needs to be key. Instead of just turning this into a new law that's going to be parsed, how can I make sure that I didn't disobey Jesus, right? <laughs> right, exactly. That's going to the the letter of it. The, the Just to turn this into one more letter. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to cross that boundary, but Jesus is moving in the opposite direction to say what would lead someone to the point where they might cross the boundary. And let's focus on that. So it's this dismissal, displeased husband. But of course, there are other possible causes, which he mentions along the way, but he's kind of focusing at first on the way that a husband 
kicks off a wife that he's not happy with anymore for whatever reason. But also mentions along the way, well, of course, if there in fact was some kind of infidelity or some kind of, the word might not even mean infidelity here, it could be referring to some exposure of some prior uh, infection, <laughs> as it were, yeah. to use that language, right? That that could be a contributing factor as well, but. Absolutely. And the hope is, the hope is a type of agape love that won't even move us to the point where we want to dismiss the other because we have that committed agape love and we we have that perfectly as jesus will say later in the sermon to have a perfect love be perfect in your love as your heavenly father is perfect that's the goal and that will cut off all of the things that will accumulate and lead to a dismissal and an adultery or making someone an adulterer. That's the logic of all four of these that we contrasting emphases that we've gone through, right? This choosing love rather than hate. Cause it's that it's letting your rage get the best of you is where, where the violence then later comes. Same for the lustful actions. Those are rooted in gawking. I liked how you said watching, not just look at a woman, you know, but watching, Right? right? This kind of gawking, that's where it starts. Same with the easy displeasure and dismissal, as well as even oath-taking. How does that fit into there uh, before we take the take a break for before our third segment? How does the oath-taking, which again, kind of the perjury context, how does that kind of fit into that logic? Yeah. So you can, you can get to the point where you're breaking an oath that you have taken, right? So in the context, you take an oath to do a certain thing or, or for a certain action to, to be valid for a promise to occur. And once you take that oath, it can lead to you breaking it. And you have broken the oath. You have committed the perjury. You have not fulfilled what you swore to happen. And sometimes that means taking an oath based upon something you can't control. So all of the things listed, like heaven or earth or Jerusalem or hair, you cannot control. You cannot control what's going to come out. So if you take an oath based upon that, it will lead to the breaking of the oath. So Jesus is going to say, move past the oath taking itself to get to the point where your word is given as a yes or a no. And once that word is given, people trust it because you've proven yourself reliable and you don't even have to get to the point where you have forced into this oath. Do I break it? Do I not? Yeah. Become a trustworthy person so exactly. that you don't need third parties and magic to <laughs> back you up. Oh, that's so helpful. Well, let's take a quick break and then come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Freemeyer, and we have been looking at Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 37, a big chunk of the uh, Sermon on the Mount here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, but I myself say to you. So let's uh, let's explore some sermon starters. What what would be some advice you might have? Maybe general advice about preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of preaching on a sermon, which has some 
trickiness to it, but, uh, <laughs> um, and specifically on teaching or preaching on this particular section, uh, either general advice or sermon ideas, we can go any direction you'd like to go with this, but what thoughts might you have about what it looks like to really speak these words afresh in our own time? Yeah. One of the challenges with doing a, a sermon on a sermon, like taking a sermon like what Kohelet in Ecclesiastes does or the book of Hebrews, is that you can move a couple different directions, one of which is to allow it to just speak and think that's enough, or you can try to implement your own devices to try and uh, move the sermon into current contexts. And I think both of those might lead to some dangers of like misrepresenting, misunderstanding, and misperceptions about it. But another option that I think is beneficial is to pay attention to what rhetorical devices are already present, and then consider how can I kind of adapt those rhetorical devices to my current context. So Jesus already has a great rhetorical device in this to say, you've heard it said, but I say, and here's why, because these are the consequences. So if in your sermon, you're you're like, okay, what are they hearing said? What can I say? Oh, but Jesus says, and then here's why Jesus is saying that, because it will help us not get to the extreme consequences that none of us want. So taking on that kind of rhetorical device here, I think is a, a wonderful way. And it really catches people to say, oh, yeah, I heard that in the news or I heard that in popular opinion or whatever social media. I've heard those things. But Jesus says, and let's consider which one is wiser. I like that. Which one is wiser? That's nice. And that locates it as Larissa was on just last week for the, I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill the law, perfect fit, and obviously for her to do. But, uh, and she really highlighted Jesus as wisdom teacher here. And again, not seeing this as a new law, another letter, right? But a sort of holistic interpretation of living that law out, right? Yeah, expounding on the law that Jesus gave in Exodus. <laughs> your Your suggestion is very striking, DJ, because it's so standard, I think, in modern preaching to say, well, we get the content from the text and then we do our own rhetoric with it, right? Right. Right. What are the principles or ideas here? And so you kind of, it's all about the topic, right? So what does Jesus have to say about anger or lust or divorce or oath-taking? And then figure out, okay, how does that apply now? And then, okay, then I add my own little rhetorical tricks to that. So it's it's actually very striking to hear you say, what what would happen to actually learn the rhetoric from the text, right? And maybe even apply that to some topics that aren't directly discussed in the text, which I've sense you might be suggesting would be a, an alternative way of being faithful to the text. To, you may want to hit a couple of these up, but I mean, it'd be great. Actually, I could see a sermon that would start with, you've heard it said, you know, with a number of kind of contemporary claims to wisdom. And in the spirit of what Jesus is doing here, you know, some could be really good ideas, true statements, right? Uh, I'm trying to think yeah. of that. I mean, here's these one. Are, that can, these are true statements. These are good laws. These are wise to yeah. do. Like, 
not to commit adultery. Nations, so, nations have to have boundaries. Yeah. You know? Oh, yes, that's right, true. Right. 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 That, that'd be a really good example of one where you could say it. Say you what I say to you. Yeah. Right. Or, but Jesus would say that. That's how I do it. I wouldn't say I'd say. <laughs> right. But, that's probably wiser. Uh, Jesus would say the boundaries themselves are not necessarily the goal. The goal is a certain type of love, mm-hmm. a love that is faithful and committed that matches God's love. And so you've now entered into the spirit of what Jesus is doing and helping people recognize it in a way that would connect with them. Cause this really connected for the people. Yeah. I could see, I could see a sermon even coming up with like six of those or so contemporary examples of quasi sort of legal expectations that are true on their face, but simply of avoiding that failure is not enough, right? Something yeah. deeper, right? Trying to help people see that, okay, yes, the, the extreme is bad, but mm-hmm. let's go to the heart of the issue, which is, are we willing in, in terms of boundaries, are we willing to invite people in? Are we willing to do the hard work of connecting with people in a way that transforms who we view as in and out? Yeah. I could see even constructing it like a little bit. You could do where you just take a quote from Jesus from somewhere else in the gospels, right? I, one that came to mind was, you've heard it said to those who are prominent, never take a bribe. But Jesus would say to that, you could say that phrase, but Jesus would say, and then quote the line, I don't have it at the top of my head, but you know, who do you invite over to parties? Is it only those who can reward you back? Right? Yes. So of course, never take a bribe, but it's deeper than that. It's who are your friends? Do you only befriend those who are powerful? And you could never, you could never take a bribe, but still be on the route to bribery and function because it's really all about, because if you're in a place of power, you're going to leverage power for your friends when they're in need, understandably. So the yeah, question is who your fr- who your question is who your friends are, not whether you take a bribe, right? Right. You're going to interact with those who are going to benefit you, and that you can benefit that to later benefit you. So let's get yeah. to the heart of that. See, so that, and that's one that somebody could get right now, and you could do like six of those to get people into the rhythm, into the thought pattern, and then in the the middle of the sermon, you could then actually maybe turn to these and go through a few of them and see if the logic's a little clearer because of kind of getting into the rhetoric first. And that practice can invite the listeners to not just, okay, what is the topic being discussed, but how is Jesus approaching that topic? Because that's the real payoff. That's right. Have the payoff of whenever they that listener is approaching a topic, they're thinking that person's thinking, oh, how would Jesus approach this topic? Yeah, and I would think that's where you'd want to end in the third kind of section of the sermon, instead of sort of like it being a topical sermon, it's a way of thinking kind of sermon where you say, the invitation here is to learn how to become wise like Jesus, to learn how to think like Jesus, to learn how to pay attention to the spirit more than the letter to pay attention to the heart of the matter, not just exterior avoidance, right? And I could see even a few points there where you could kind of lay that out, but go ahead. Yeah, the hope is to live within the blessing uh, that Jesus lives within rather than getting to the edge and moving in or potentially moving into the curses. And you don't want to live there, but let's live fully in the blessings 
That's what the Sermon on the Mount is hoping to do. Sounds like you're saying you could end the sermon with the Beatitudes again, right? Because that's... <laughs> Absolutely. Or begin with the Beatitudes, move into it, and then end with the, okay, now pay attention to the words as Jesus does. Like, it's a great sermon structure in and of itself, already set up for you. Do you want to live in blessings? Okay. Then this is what it involves, approaching each topic in this way. And that enables you to pay attention to the words spoken and built your life on a firm foundation. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Which actually, does he use the language of blessing there too? I'm trying to remember suddenly. At the end? Everyone who follows this will be blessed. Well. Trying to remember. Yeah. So by the time you get to the building of the house on the rock, Mm -hmm. it is the foolish and the wise builder. And Jesus is going to end with one is living fully within blessing, secure, the other is falling. And Jesus ends with the fall <laughs> to kind of drive home the point. Is this really what you want for you, everything around you, your house and, and your life to collapse? Yeah, well, that's spot on. That's great. Anything else you'd like to uh, say about this passage or about the Sermon on the Mount in general before we head out for the day today? Yeah, I think part of the hope of this is that we would recognize each and every action as leading to a worship together, uh, a faithful worship together, as even Matthew as a book does. All of the sermons that Jesus does in commenting on and matching what Moses is saying is to lead to the point of appropriate worship. And so there are a lot of worship aspects to this text, like bringing the offering, going to the altar, reconciling, loving well spouses in worship, worshiping in oaths and what we commit to the Lord. The throne of God, Jerusalem. Yeah. Yes. There are worship locations. I missed that. That's so good. With the um the Gehenna, the the Sarova, the purging valley where the fires are, the prison, the the places you don't want to be. You want to be in the place of worship. Though you want to be in the place where God is. You don't want to be in those locations where sorrow is and suffering and isolation or cleansing and purging. So that contrast, even uh topographically can be a beneficial one to draw out. That's great. Yeah. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to live? Yeah. In the uh, junk pile that's on fire, the edge of town or or in the temple. That's great. That's so great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, DJ. I appreciate you giving an hour of your time to study the word and guide some others in that. I appreciate it so very, very much. Happy to help. And I hope that the listeners will be blessed by it. I'm certain of that. Thanks to Todd and Eric for your production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to all the supporters of the show, especially our uh, patron saints. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. See ways that you can support the show for the uh, volunteer work that Todd does behind the scenes. He does it as a labor of love. I don't see a cent of that, but little money doesn't hurt. So feel free to click on that and support us if you will. And with that said, we say, uh, Have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.